If you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are going to conclude the Sermon on the Mount today there in Matthew 7. But in an unexpected twist, we're not going to conclude the unexpected series. We're actually going to conclude it next week at our outdoor worship gathering across the river. As you're turning to Matthew 7, um, going to start with a story, and in light of what happened this week in our nation, it's actually a very minor story, so forgive me when I seem quite bothered and upset by it, but it, it seems to be a regular occurrence in the birdhouse. What happened was on Monday, July 4th, we were being good Americans, and we started grilling out some burgers, some brats, some hot dogs, and I got to tell you, it was looking good. And inside was this huge bowl of fruit. I mean, fresh fruit. It's just, it just a big old mound. And my mouth starts watering. Mr. Stomach starts yelling at me to feed him. And it's time. It's time to eat. And, and the kids had an intense game of Monopoly going on in the front room. And so we said, hey, kids, put the game on hold. You can come back to it. Supper's ready. Go wash your hands and come to the table. So one by one, they make it to the table. We all sit down. And in our family, we always pray before we eat. And we usually hold hands. So we start to take hands. And all of a sudden, my wife looks at one of my children, who I'm going to allow to remain nameless, and says, did you wash your hands? And all of a sudden, this guilty look washes over the face, makes the way to the kitchen sink, and begins to wash. Now, you've got to understand, every evening, we say the same thing. Supper's ready. Go wash your hands and come to the table. I mean, it happens without fail. And yet, on a too consistent basis, we take hands, and at least one of our children has not gone and washed their hands. And it isn't even over washing hands. Like, it's summertime. The boys are outside playing. All right, bird boys, time to come in, start getting ready for bed. Go take a shower. But instead of going and taking a shower, they find their Power Bible comic book, and they start reading or we ask one of the girls, hey, could you like do the dishes tonight? And they'll say, yes, sure. But it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night, getting ready to head to bed, and there's still dirty dishes in the sink. And it's just like, oh, we ask you to do something and you don't do it. If you are a parent, you understand my pain. <laughs> Even if you're not a parent, though, I think you have had this experience. Have you ever run into a friend you haven't seen in a long time? And you, you start to catch up, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got to run, but hey, I'll call you tomorrow. And, and they don't call you. Or I, I've known people who applied for a job or a promotion at work, and the boss says, you got it. It's yours. All we got to do is finish up some paperwork. I'll let you know. And like days, even weeks go by, and the boss just hasn't pushed the paperwork through. And you're wondering if it's actually going to happen. Or maybe you ask your spouse, hey, could you just stop and pick something up or do me this little favor? And they'll say, oh, sure, honey, I'd, I'd love to do that. But then they get so wrapped up in their own little world and their things that they forget. It, it kind of hurts, doesn't it? When, when you ask someone to do something or, or someone says they're going to do something, but then they don't follow through. But before we start shaking our finger and SMH in our head, maybe we should actually look in the mirror and start seeing, do I ever do this? Have I ever been asked to do something and I have forgotten? Can't tell you the number of times my wife has given me incredible grace. She's asked me to do something. I'll say yes with the best of intentions. 
and I don't quite get it done. It even happened last night. Hey, Aaron, I'm really busy getting Kids Creek ready. Could you make the bed? Of course, because we need the bed made before we can go to sleep. I head into the bedroom at about 10.30, 10.45 last night, and the bed wasn't made. Or, or have you ever had the moment where you hear some really good information, like, this is life-changing, and you're like, this is it. I'm going to change after this. But within a few weeks, you're right back into the same old routine. It's like you forgot. It's almost as if you hadn't even heard it. I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone to a conference or, or read a book, and I'm like, okay, I've got to change my schedule, or I've got to you know, change this, or I'm going to do that differently. And sure enough, within a few weeks, I'm just right back to doing it how I'd always been doing it. Or worse yet, have you ever told yourself you're going to do something? And then you have the audacity to ignore even yourself. Like you say, I'm going to get up at a certain time, or I'm going to go to bed at a certain time, or I'm going to eat certain foods, or I'm not going to eat these other foods, or I'm going to go exercise at this time and do this. And then you just proceed to ignore yourself. If you are honest, you have to admit that you are just as guilty as I am. All of us have had boneheaded moments where we say yes to something. We have the best of intentions and then we go and forget. I think Jesus understands this. I think he understands this about humanity. Because today we're going to see him conclude his sermon. And he's going to say some piercing words to try and drive his point home because he knows humans. Because you've got to remember, for the last 15 weeks, we've been studying the greatest sermon ever delivered. Jesus was standing on a mountainside. His disciples were at his feet, the crowds all around them, and he has just been been dispensing truth bombs to them, like life-altering things. Uh, Think about some of the things we've heard. We heard first the mind-blowing Beatitudes. Just incredible. That enough would have been like just, wow. He could have stopped right there and changed people's lives. But he kept going. He then encouraged people to be salt and light. He he, he went on to uh, tell people about the dangers of anger and lust and divorce. He he told people to go and live differently by loving their enemies he, he told, taught them how to give and to pray and to fast, but to, to not do it like the hypocrites who did it for attention, but instead to do it with a gospel motivation because it connects you with your God and it causes you to go and be a blessing to others. He also taught them how to judge, to judge through a lens of grace, but to judge false prophets through a lens of truth. But then, probably most important of all, he taught us to completely trust God. This is life-changing stuff. And I would imagine that in Jesus' audience, there were some people sitting there going, wow. Like, their minds had just been blown. This was phenomenal teaching. This changes everything. But Jesus knew that some of them would then head home and just get back into the same old routine. And so because he loves them, Because he understands humans, he tacks on this powerful ending. After teaching all of this stuff, he gives them this powerful contrast to drive the point home, to nail it into their heart and their head. 
And he says this to them. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So, Father, we thank you for these words from Jesus, but they are convicting. It means that we can't just have heard these things and added it to our knowledge. It means we now have to hear these things and go and do them and apply them. So that's why I ask that you would right now open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say, what you would have us do in response to what we are about to hear from Jesus. So, Father, may you take over right now. And it's in your son's name I pray to you. Amen. Today, I want to spend some time on this powerful imagery. And so what I've done is I've brought a rock and some sand. Now, despite what you're thinking, this is not the communion bread for today, okay? This really is a rock. My brother said, I said, hey, could you pick up that rock? He's here visiting from Florida. And he says, you mean that bread? Like, okay, if, if this is bread, I'm the worst baker in the world, okay, right here. Uh, there's no knife that's going to cut that. In fact, he, he was joking. He said, yeah, if you can eat that bread, you would be saved, like, forever, all right? You wouldn't need Jesus, but I guarantee you'll need Jesus after eating this. Um, all right, so we've got rock. And then my daughter went out. I said, I, I need to go get some sand. She goes, oh, I know where some is at. So she actually went out, got it, cleaned it up for us, all right? So we've got some sand here today. I wish I had a higher table for all of you to see, but... I just went, brought my pitcher, went back to the kitchen, just got some regular old water out of the tap. Now, we all know it's going to happen. But yet, sometimes we just need to see it. That sometimes, life comes and brings us water in the rain. But you notice, the rock isn't moving, it isn't floating, it isn't going anywhere. And if it was bread, it would be just absolutely soaked right now. Right? But nothing's different about the rock, except it's wet. It's still totally remaining. But... When we do the same with the sand, you see the sand starts moving. It starts stirring. It doesn't stay firm. It doesn't stay solid. You can see how the water starts silting through. The sand has, has moved. All right? It's not firm. And we all know this. But when you look at it visually, you start going, who in their right mind would build their house on that? I mean, this is obviously the right thing to do. That is just utter foolishness. No one, no one would do that. And yet people do it all the time. Where Jesus was standing on the mountain, most scholars say he was right near the Sea of Galilee. All right? Big sea. But... During like the summer months when there isn't as much uh, rain, the, the sun is out, it's hotter, the, the waters go down a little bit. And the sandy shores aren't having as much water in them. And the sun bakes them and they actually begin to get hard. And it begins to seem like legit ground. You can walk on it. You're not really leaving footprints. You almost could start to believe that it's good enough to build a house upon but what would happen is that as soon as the rains come, the sea starts rising again. It starts coming up onto the shores. We all know what's going to happen to the sand. Throughout life, 
people see something that looks legit. It seems like it could stand. And so they begin to build their life upon it. In Jesus' day, it was the Jewish law. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the time, had been teaching the law. They had a passion for God's word. And they studied it copiously. But they realized, there's a lot here. And every once in a while, they would have questions about it. So what they did to try and help sort through this stuff, they began to heap on more laws. Now, it wasn't in the scripture, but they would start tacking on all this other stuff. Until instead of it just being 613 laws, it just kept piling bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you live for centuries with that, it begins to think, you you begin to feel like it's legit. Like it's something you can build your life upon because it's all you've ever known. And the way they would teach it, it seems like, yeah, this is rock. But yet time and time again, they were experiencing, I have to continue to go to the temple to offer sacrifices for my sin. I can't keep the law. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus helps them see that the law was actually a sandy foundation. That's why he said things like, you've heard it said, and he would then quote some portion of the law, but I tell you. And when he did that, he exposed it for what it was. It was truly just sand. It seemed legit, but it wasn't. Now, as I look out here, I suspect that none of you are trying to build your life upon the Mosaic Covenant. Unless you're like secretly trying to do the whole Jewish thing and I just don't know. But I I know most of you. And I know that that's not the route you're going. However, there's a good chance that you have been trying to build your life upon something other than Jesus. I know people who have tried to build their life upon the foundation of culture. The philosophy of culture, it seems so legit. It seems so right. It just makes so much sense. And so we begin to build our life upon this. But if you begin to study culture, you see throughout time, it is always shifting and changing. That what now seems so right, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, would have been seen as foolish. That 50 years ago, this is what seems so right and correct. This seemed rock solid. But then life happened, culture changed, and it actually reveals culture to be a sandy foundation. And so I know other people who try to build their life upon a foundation of politics. And especially in our day and age, we are so capable of finding all the voices that will affirm what we believe. We can go and get the exact news sources we want and basically build ourselves into an insulated bubble. And then we can become so convinced that this is correct, this is right, this is rock solid, that we look across the aisle and think, how foolish, how could they believe that? How could they come to that? That is such sandy ground. No, this is the rock. But then when something happens in our nation, like a 9-11 or an Orlando or a, or a world war, it begins to shape the cultural dialogue and politics itself begins to change. And what once seemed so right suddenly begins to shift again. And politics itself is also revealed to be a sandy foundation. So then some people decide, well, we've got to go to religion that's what is solid. And so they, they pick one. They, they, they pick, the, you know, Islam or, or Buddhism or even here in America. We'll even say it. Christianity. And they pick their religion. And this is what's going to make me connected to God. This is what's going to be the foundation of my life. 
And so it becomes about all their good works. That if they just go to church or temple or mosque enough, if they just give enough money, if they just say their prayers in the right way enough times, if they just do things to other people, that is going to be the solid rock of their life. But as we've been seeing in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even called us at one point evil. Because the standard is not other people. If we compare ourselves to other people, yeah, you bet. You guys could be really, really good. But they're not the standard. God is the standard. And compared to God and his perfection and his holiness, we are so tainted by sin, Jesus can call us evil. And therefore, religion is exposed as being a sandy foundation. I could go on. I know people who've tried to build their foundation on their career. Some people try to build their foundation on their family. Some people, it's their bank account. For some, it's all their possessions, how it appears to the world. Some, it's their reputation. But each and every one of these is sand. Because all it takes is for something to happen in life, for some storm to come, for some water to be poured over it, and it ends up washing away, and it's not as solid as we thought it was. That is why Jesus loves his audience enough, which includes us, to say, don't build your life on anything else except me. Now, how in the world can he get away with saying that? Well, I think verses 28 and 29 kind of reveal it. This is after the sermon is done. He said his last words, and Matthew tacks this on. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, the scribes, they were pretty remarkable people. They spent major amounts of time copying the scriptures. What we call the Old Testament to them was just the scriptures. It was the Hebrew scriptures. And they would meticulously copy it word by word, letter by letter, stroke by stroke. And if they made one small mistake, they couldn't just pull out the whiteout. They couldn't hit the delete key. They, They couldn't just scratch it out. They actually threw it away, burned it, got rid of it, and they started over. And they would meticulously go through it. Well, as you begin to copy it over and over and over by hand, you begin to know it. In fact, many of the scribes would have much of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, huge swaths. I mean, we think it's remarkable when someone can memorize all the words of a pop song. I mean, they could memorize like books upon books upon books of the Hebrew scriptures. And so you'd imagine like after work, they're home with the family, a big family gathering, everyone's eating supper and something comes up about the law. And everyone turns to the scribe because he spends all day long copying the scriptures and he knows it. And he could say, well, the scripture says this. And he would sound really wise. But as that crowd is out on that mountainside next to the Sea of Galilee, they hear Jesus saying these things. He doesn't sound like a scribe. Like he sounds different. He sounds like one who has authority. 
I imagine that you get done reading the whole entire Harry Potter series. If, if you're not familiar with Harry Potter, you've been living in a cave uh, for much of your life. Harry Potter is a series of seven books written by J.K. Rowling. She's an English author. She, she, when her first book was published, she was a single mother on welfare. After it was all done, before the movies even came out, she had like $450 million to her name. All right? She's probably like a billionaire now. All right? She's done quite well for herself. Uh, but the series has been really, really popular. I mean, sold tons of books, turned into movies. There's a whole website world about it. I mean, there's like even now a, a musical, I think, being put together. I mean, people are super excited about Harry Potter. So you decide, all right, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to see what it's about. You start reading it. But as you read it, you kind of have some questions. Who's the best person to go and ask? I mean, you could go and ask some teenager who's read the books multiple times, and they probably could answer it. You, you could go and ask someone who's watched the movies over and over, maybe someone who's part of the whole Pottermore website, you know, someone who's a really big fan. But if you really want the best answer, you would go to the author, to J.K. Rowling, because as the author, she's the authority. Jesus is able to teach with authority because he is the author of life. God the Son, part of the triune God, was there when God said to himself, let us make man in our image. He knew what mankind was supposed to be like and what it was supposed to look like before sin. He knew how life was supposed to be lived. That is why he could stand on a mountain and say, build your life upon my words. And it will be like you're building your house on the rock. He isn't trying to be exclusionary. He isn't trying to make anyone feel bad. He's actually inviting. He's in loving them. Because he's the author of life. And because he loves humans and he wants to see them living life the way God intended it to be, he has the power to say, follow me. Apply my words. Build your life upon this teaching. So Jesus is the author of life, inviting us to follow him. But did you notice that when Jesus used this illustration of a rock and a sand, they both went through the storms. They, they both got covered with water. They both had the floods come up. The winds beat against their houses. If you think that following Jesus is going to spare you of the storms of life, then you will be really disappointed. If you thought that by saying yes to God, it meant you would always get the job, you would always, you know, have 2.5 kids, you'd meet Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you'd never have any health issues, you misunderstand because Jesus is not Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite here to fulfill your wildest dreams. Jesus has something better to give you. He's there to give you himself. Because you see, even when a doctor says, I'm sorry, but it's cancer. Or your boss says, I'm sorry, but you no longer have a job. Or your kid says, I'm sorry, but I'm no longer going to count you as my parent. It hurts. There's tears. It's the storms of life, the floods coming up. But yet, if your foundation is Jesus, nothing has changed. If you build your identity upon your family, then when the tragedy happens and one of your kids dies, your house crumbles. But when your identity is built upon the foundation of Jesus and one of your children dies, it hurts, you cry, you mourn, but it doesn't change because he's still your God. That is why Jesus can say, build your life upon me. But you can't think it means that that's an escape. Instead, he's providing you something to make your way through the storm. That is why I got to say, don't be a fool. Don't follow the flooded fools who say, build your house upon this because it's sand. 
Instead, because I love you and I'm your pastor, I say build your house upon Jesus. Make him the center of your life. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to escape the storms. You'll have something that's going to help carry you through the storms. So what I want to do to conclude today is I want to talk to three people. The first person I want to talk to today is the person who would say, I follow Jesus and I be mature in my faith. You, you read your Bible on a regular basis. You have an ongoing dialogue with God through prayer. You're, you're growing in your faith and this is important to you. What I want to say to you is keep following Jesus. And don't get arrogant. Your biblical knowledge does not make you better than anyone else. In fact, the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of just how deep your sin is and was. And the gospel just seems that much glorious. And you just become more and more in love with your God and you actually feel humbled. And that's when you begin to have that peace that surpasses understanding. But I don't want you to just follow Jesus for your own sake. Because there are people out there who have been watching you. And maybe they have mocked you. Maybe they've internally judged you. They, they look at you and, and it's like you're digging through the sand, going for the rock. And they're just thinking, you are wasting a bunch of time. Like, this is good enough. I like being built upon the culture. I like being built upon my job. I like being built upon my family. I like being built upon politics. You're missing out. Why are you wasting your time? But then when the storms come and they get flooded out, their life is a wreck. They're going to look at you and they'll see how you've weathered your storm. And you have this peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense. And they're going to come to try and figure it out. And they're going to turn to you. And so you see, you need to not just follow Jesus for yourself so that you can continue on through life. You need to follow Jesus for them. Because they're going to need to know how to find Jesus and begin to follow him and begin to build their life upon the rock of Christ. So if that's you, please, 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 Keep following Jesus humbly because I think God's going to use you because this world needs you. The second person I want to talk to today is the person who's not following Jesus. If you're here, thank you for coming. I'm glad you are here. We started Riverwood for you. We did not move to Waverly, Iowa to try and just steal a bunch of people from other churches to try and build something big, to be the coolest thing in town. And first of all, I'm the pastor. We'll never be cool. But beside that, that was not our goal. Our goal was to help those who were spiritually disconnected. Maybe it was because they, they haven't been going to church for years or ever. We wanted them to come and be a part of this. Maybe they've been a part of church, but they just felt disconnected from God. We wanted them to come and be a part of this. We want people who are disconnected from God to find Jesus and follow him, to reconnect with their creator. And if that's you, you are in the right place. I'm glad you're here. This church exists for you. But with that, I want to invite you today to make a confession of faith and begin to follow him. Jesus is saying, if you try to build your life on anything else, it will lead to destruction Maybe not immediately, maybe not right away. I mean, there are homes that are built on the beaches and they can go for decades. But then the hurricane comes. Just because it seems great right now doesn't mean it'll always be that way. But Jesus is saying, he's eternal, he's forever, and he invites you to find him and to follow him forever. Now, I will admit, this whole Jesus story is crazy. <laughs> Think about it. I one God 
but in three persons, where the second person of that Godhead comes to earth, takes on human flesh, lives a sinless life, but goes and dies a sinner's death on a cross, but rises again from the dead three days later. Yeah, it sounds like something right out of mythology. But it's true. And even now, as you listen to me, something's saying to you inside, he's right. You might still have some questions. You might still have some doubts. I get that. But yet you know that somehow, some way, this crazy story is true. And Jesus right now is calling to you to begin to build your life upon him. That's why here in just a little bit, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to create some space for you to talk to God. And if this is you and this is where you're at, then I'm going to encourage you to talk to him. In this room are many people who follow Jesus. And almost all of them marked the beginning of that journey with a prayer. And for many of us, our prayer sounded something like this. Admitting to God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've been building my life on something else. But Jesus, you gave your life for me. My sins have been paid for. So because you gave your life for me, I'm now going to give my life to follow you. And we, we made that decision without fully understanding what we were doing. But what we knew was that Jesus had called us. And so we said yes. We began to follow him. If today you make that sort of decision, I want you to somehow indicate it to me. On that connection card, there's a place that says on there, today I begin to follow Jesus. Or if you want to, my contact info is on the back of the handouts. Text me, email me, even catch me here at the end of our, our worship gathering today. Because we do not have a dream and a goal of just getting a bunch of people to mark a box, to say yes to following Jesus, and we can rack up a bunch of conversions. We are here to help you follow him. But to follow him, you've got to first find him. And that's why today we invite you. You found Jesus. Now we want to help you follow him. Give your life to following. Now, the third person I want to talk to today is the person who probably feels like they're caught in between those two. You would say that at one point in your life, you prayed a prayer, you made a decision, you said, I'm going to build my life upon Jesus. But if you're really honest with yourself, you feel torn because you're trying to build your life on two foundations. You're half on rock, but you're half on sand. And you're feeling torn and conflicted because you can sense that if the floods come up, half of your foundation is washed away and you aren't sure how your house, your life will teeter. Jesus calls that adultery. He sees your relationship with God as kind of like a marriage, saying this is forever, this is for us. But when we begin to build our life on two foundations, it's, it's like we're letting something else come into this relationship. And we even begin to make that more important than our relationship with God. But the good news is that back in the Old Testament, God calls this guy named Hosea to be a prophet. And one of the ways God wanted to use Hosea was to have him go and marry a prostitute. And, and together they have three children. But then the unthinkable happens. Hosea's wife leaves him and the kids and goes back to prostitution. It got so bad she ended up in sex slavery. And she ended up on the slave block up for sale. And God says to Hosea, go and purchase back your wife. She's already his wife. He shouldn't have to spend any money on her. And yet he does. He goes and he redeems her. He buys her and brings her back. And that is exactly what God does for you. 
He created you. He placed his image in you. He loves you. He married you. But we walked away into sin. And Jesus is standing there with his arms open saying, I love you. I've bought you. I've purchased you through the cross. You're mine. So leave this other relationship. Come to me. Build your life fully upon the rock of Jesus. He forgives you. So stop running. Stop hiding. Stop this duplicitous life because it's wrecking you up inside. And so today as we pray, and I create that space for those who want to begin their journey of following Jesus, for you, I want you to spend that time in confession. And I want you to name it. God already sees your heart. He has seen your actions. He knows what you've done. He knows what you think about. So don't try and fake him out right now. Don't try and say some fancy words or, or kind of skirt the issue. Name it. God, I confess that I have. <clears throat> and just lay it out there before him. And then thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his grace. And today say, God, I don't want to be that man who's heard this and then walks away and forgets. I want to be the person who builds their life upon you. So empower me. Help me to change. If you're making that decision today, I'm going to ask that you also indicate that on your card or you send me an email or a text because I do not want you to make this decision today in an emotional moment and then just head right back to work, right back into life, and then you just slip back into the same routine. We want to band together with you to help you follow Jesus Because can you imagine what a church would look like if it was filled with people saying, here's where my identity is. Here's where my life rests. And we could weather the storms together. That would change the world. And some of the chaos that we see going on in our nation could be healed because people would find themselves being drawn to this. And we would be the agents that God uses to help people find Jesus and follow him and build their life upon the rock of Christ. So, let's pray. Jesus, I want to say thank you for giving this image to us. It's powerful. You were so wise to use this for us, to show us this idea of a rock or this idea of sand. God, we want to build our life upon you. So right now, Lord, I pray for those that first have not been following you at all. They've had questions. They they, they would say they're not a Christian. They're not a Jesus follower. And yet today you are calling them. And today's the day they want to place their faith fully upon you. So God, as they pray here in just a moment, as they talk to you directly themselves, I thank you that you hear their prayer. Their sin is forgiven. And this is a brand new thing for them. And I pray, Father, that you would give them joy of seeing you do some remarkable things in them. And they learn what life is like on the rock. Lord, I also lift up those today that need to confess. They've been trying to build their life on two foundations. And Jesus, you're asking them to move it all to you, to go all in upon the gospel. And I thank you too. You also hear that prayer and that they are already forgiven through the cross. Help us, Father, to see it, to experience it, to know it. 
So right now, Father, hear our prayers. Holy Spirit, I want to say thank you for what you're doing right now. God, we don't want this to be a one-hit wonder. We want this to truly be a change. So I'm asking for your help. I'm asking that you continue to speak to your people, that you would place within them this desire, this motivation to get into the scriptures so that you can be teaching them throughout the week that they would band together in growth groups and being here together on Sundays so that we can collectively chase after you so that you can continue to refine us and purify us with the water of your word that we would be this amazing church filled with these amazing people who understand grace and that we would go out and impact this world that's in chaos and we would have the boldness to love them like Jesus would love them and live among them like Jesus would. Because that's what this world needs. They need Jesus. So God, whether today is our first day of following you, or we're recommitting ourselves to following you, or we are just continuing to say yes to you, may you send us to go and to be that blessing. May you continue to do that deep, deep, deep work in us. And by doing so, you can do this great work through us. So God, I thank you for the rains outside right now, which remind us that storms come, life happens, and yet you never change. So we want to build our life upon you. So that no matter what comes our way, our identity doesn't change. And our trust in you is solid. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.